Welcome to the podcast for Wenton Baptist Church. I pray God uses this message to bless you in Jesus' name. And this morning we're going to be looking at something that has a wonderful familiarity to all of us. And it's found in the very name of God incarnate. God in the flesh. And his name is Jesus. Now, there's always been uh, symbolism and in, in, in meaning uh, attached to names throughout history. And, you know, we often attach uh, na- meaning to the names of our children uh, as we give them names for sometimes for sentimental reasons uh, or, or a, family, you know, uh, a family name. We might name a child after a family member or a grandparent or an aunt. There's just a, a sentimental reason sometimes we give uh, names to people and it stands out there. Well, with my, my, uh, for me, uh, the name in our family, uh, the name Tabor stands out. Uh, it's a family name that's kind of been carried, carried down for about three generations now. Uh, the name Tabor, it's, a, it's my middle name. It's Jacob's middle name. It's my dad's middle name. And uh, my grandmother uh, came up with this name uh, really because of a kindness that was extended to her, my grandfather, uh, through a man by the name of Dennis Tabor. My dad's name is Dennis Tabor Davis. Uh, but there was a kindness given to uh, my, my grandparents by this man when they were uh, in, in a very, they were in a crisis. I don't know the, all the circumstances surrounding it, but he, he helped them to such a degree that it made a, a great impact on their life, that they wanted to name a kid after him. And so they did. They named my dad after him, uh, Dennis Tabor. And so, uh, and so dad continued the tradition and uh, named my middle name Tabor, and, and we continue the tradition, Jacob's Tab- Tabor. I'm not sure if Jacob's going to continue that tradition. It's totally up to him. Uh, but Tabor, I looked it up. Tabor, uh, it's, it's, it is a biblical name, and this, this name Tabor is named uh, after a mountain in Scripture. Uh, Jacob, if you want to bring this up, this mountain uh, in, in Scripture is called Mount Tabor. There it is. Mount Tabor, it kind of stands alone there, and, and you know, it's, it kind of rises up. Uh, in the land in Israel, and uh, this uh, historically, about the third century, uh, early church father Origen, uh, they believe that this is where the Mount of Transfiguration happened. Peter, Peter, James, and uh, John, Peter, and James uh, went to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and he revealed himself in all his glory. Uh, it is believed to be on this mountain, and so the word Tabor there, uh, it, it means uh, it has a, a meaning to it. It means purifying or clarifying, that kind of thing. You can kind of get into the names, Tabor, that kind of thing. It's a family name for us, so it has some pretty unique significance uh, in, in, many, in more ways uh, than one. Well, this morning, we are speaking of a greater name, a greater name uh, for whom Scripture declares is the name above every name. And you see that on the screen there, that name is Jesus. He has many names. And so Jesus comes from the Hebrew word uh, Yeshua, Okay, and Yeshua is Hebrew for Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, or the Lord is salvation. So we translate that, the Greek form of the word Yeshua is Jesus. And so you translate that into English, it's where we get Jesus from. And so Jesus means the Lord is salvation. There's power in the name of Jesus. It is in the name of Jesus that we see the ultimate expression of, of God's character, the ultimate expression of who God is. We get a sense of who God really is. His ultimate desire, church, is that mankind is saved. 
God is a God who saves. If, I, if there's anything you come away from this morning, I want you to understand that God is a God who wants to have salvation in, in your life. He wants you to be saved. There's power in the name of Jesus, and through him, we can have salvation. And this morning, I want to show through our text that God is a God. Uh, he saves us through what the scripture describes as the second birth. We've heard about the second birth before. Maybe you've heard about that. God also saves us through what's called the incarnation. That's a big word there. It means in the flesh. The incarnation of Jesus. And, <coughs> excuse me. And God also, God also saves us excuse me, through faith in his son. And God saves us from punishment and condemnation. That is the greater sense of who God is. God wants to save us. We find it in Jesus. Ultimately, the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow Every tongue confess what? That Jesus is Lord. That is the heart of God. That is the greatest sense of the character of God. From cover to cover, the, the, the story of the Bible is the redemption of man, the salvation of man. You are on God's heart from cover to cover. And that should make you feel amazing. Not just feel amazing, but want to give your life to everything that God has done for you. So first of all, God saves us through the second birth. That's your first point. God saves us through the second birth. And we, we're going to visit a, a story here in, in John chapter 3. This is a story of Jesus and Nicodemus. And we begin here in chapter 3, verse 1 there. It says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, he said, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, that he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here we have an account in the gospel of John, a religious ruler coming to Jesus at night. And there's some significance to Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. What's, what's the point of him coming to him at night? You know, many times in scripture, especially here in the gospel of John, when night is involved, uh, there's a meaning that is associated with darkness. One commentator uh, points out that elsewhere in the gospel, the word night appears to have negative connotations. I'll give you some examples here of these verses. We'll throw up some verses here. Um, in chapter 9, verse 4, for example, Jesus urges that uh, people to work in the day for the night is coming where no one can work. Okay? Uh, in chapter 11, verse 10, he says, Those who walk in the night stumble because they have no light. Okay? Uh, and, so, and also in John chapter 13, verse 30, uh, after receiving the bread from Jesus' hand, Jesus, Judas went out into the night and uh, betrayed him. Okay? You, you, you see that there in John chapter, uh, in John chapter 13, verse 30, uh, how you, it, the darkness is associated there. So keeping these things in mind, when, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, it suggests, what does it suggest? It suggests that Nicodemus was in a state of spiritual darkness. He wasn't coming to him uh, as a person of the light. He was coming to him in a state of spiritual darkness. So he points out to the, this religious leader the reality of the second birth. He was saying to him, respected religious leader, if you really think you're religious, if you, if you really want to, to be with God, to be close with God, guess what? Your spiritual heritage is not going to save you. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven based on these things. You must have 
a second birth. And Nicodemus was stunned. What is he talking about? A second birth? I, I'm part of the Sanhedrin. I'm part of the 70 religious leaders in Israel. I, I'm the, the best of the best, spiritually speaking. What is he talking about? Second birth. I just talked to him about how great of a teacher he was. And now he's talking about this business of second birth. Well, what is that about? You see, Jews believed that because they were Jews, when they died, they would immediately inherit eternal life. It was a belief that they had. But he was shocked about this. And so he was confused. And he thought that Jesus was talking about a, 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 a literal second physical birth. And you see him commenting there. He says, how, many, uh, how can anyone be born when he is old? Uh, can a, he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? So he's engaging Jesus in this conversation. He's saying, okay, yeah, I, I, I'll roll with you here. Well, well how does this happen? Now, tell me, Jesus, do you, uh, born, are you born again physically? And Jesus said, no, it's not, it's not that. It's not like you think it is. It's, it's, it's a spiritual birth. He's talking about uh, unless someone is born again. Now, that, that phrase there, born again, Talks, it literally means to be born from above. Born above, okay? It's what Jesus is saying. Unless you're born above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It's the same for all of us. Unless you're born from above, you can't see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, water meaning the, the first physical birth there, a, you know, a, a, a woman's water is broken. That's where we understand that's from. And then the second, uh, the second birth is a spiritual birth. The water and the spirit, that's the second birth. A birth of the spirit born from above, that's the second birth. That's how we're born from above. We're born physically, but then we have a spiritual birth. In order to be uh, enter the kingdom of God, you must have a spiritual transformation. Something must happen to you in your spirit. You must be born from above. You must be born again. And, and well, how, how can this happen? Tell me about this. How, how can this happen, this, this spiritual second birth you're talking about, being born again? What, well, what does all this mean? Jesus explained it to him. I love this. Jesus, had, Jesus is having a little Bible study here. If you ever wondered what, how to explain to someone what the second birth is, what it means to be born again, we throw that phrase around a lot. I'm born again. I'm born again. Well, what does it mean? Jesus says it like this. It's just like the wind. We see the effects of the wind, but we can't see where it comes from or where it's going. That's what it's like uh, for those who are born of the Spirit. He says, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So basically, he's saying there, we, we can't understand the Spirit's work. In our, we can't understand where it's coming from, but we can see the, the, the effects of the Spirit of God working in our lives. What that means is, if you're born again, you can see the effects of the Spirit of God working in your life. Okay, That's what Jesus is exactly saying here. You, you, you don't necessarily know or comprehend the Spirit, uh, where He's coming from, but you, 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 you see God, God's moving in my life. I don't understand it, but I see it. And that's, that's the way. We, we don't see the wind, but we feel the effects of the wind, right? And you feel the effects of my hand slapping the mic, too. Um, so you feel the effects of the wind, right? And, and that's, the way, <clears throat> that's the way it is with the Spirit. God saves through the second birth. It's a spiritual transformation that takes place when a person is born where? From above. It's a literal translation of that. The work of the Spirit in our lives is evidence that we are born again. Are you experiencing the reality? My son loves this when I use this phrase. The reality of the Spirit and the reality of the second birth in your life. Are you experiencing that? Do you see the work evidence of the Spirit of God 
in your, in your life. If you do, then there's evidence that you are born again. If you don't see the rea- an evidence of the work of the Spirit of God in your life, then there is, I, I don't know your heart, God knows your heart, but Scripture gives us, gives us a test to see if we are born again. Uh, and so we must examine ourselves. I, I can't give you Jesus. I can show you who Jesus is. But you must examine in your heart, is my heart truly saved? We want to use that, that church language, saved. Am I born again? There's some more church language. Am I born of the Spirit? Is, have I experienced that second birth? How do I know that? Romans 8, 16 says this. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't that great? The Holy Spirit tells you that you're saved. The Holy Spirit says, yes, you're born again. So the Holy Spirit will tell you, will confirm in your spirit that you are a child of God. That's absolutely how we know that we know that we know that if we we die tomorrow, that we're going to go to heaven. Because the Spirit of God confirms with our spirit that, yes, we're his. And that happens, we can continue on with this. You're convicted of sin. You understand that when you sin, you break God's heart. It affects you. It's not just a guilty feeling, but you know that it breaks God's heart. And you want to be with God. You want to get close to the things of God. We had a brother uh, call his grandparents and say, you know what, I want to come to church. You just long for the spiritual because why? You have the spirit of God tugging at you. You You can't stay away from the family of God for so long because why? Because you're born again and you desire fellowship with other believers. And so that's another evidence of the Spirit. And there's many more. There are fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 are evidence of the Spirit of God at work in your life. When God's Spirit tells you that this is what it means to be born again. This is how God saves. God saves us through the second birth. And we see a passage here in Revelation 21, uh, 6-8. It says this. <clears throat> then he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The second death. You know you can die a second time. This, after you die once, there's a second death. We don't have to take part in this second death, which is eternal separation from God. We must be born again. When we are born, we have the curse of sin that we are currently separated from God. We're going to die physically. That's part of the curse of sin. And we're spiritually separated from God. If we are born again, we only die once. And the second death has no power over us. Okay, watch this. Jacob's going to throw this stuff on the screen. Put your thinking caps on here. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You guys follow that? Let's say it again. Born once, you die twice. If you are born twice, you die once. Okay? If you experience the second birth, you're, only, you're just going to die once. And you're not going to experience the second death. So God saves us through the second birth. We must be born again. We must be born from above. Make sure that your heart, the Spirit says to you, yes, this is who you are. You're a child of God. If, you, if you're not certain, please come to me. Don't wait. Don't put it off any longer. No matter what your history is like with this church or whoever it is, it matters. Your, your eternity, your soul hangs in the balance. I plead with you. Make sure that you're right with God 100%. Don't get this wrong. 
while there's still time. Also, God saves us through the incarnation. The incarnation. John 3.13, he continues on, Nicodemus, he speaks, to, he speaks to him like this. He says to Nicodemus, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So he continues his explanation, his little Bible study with Nicodemus here, about how this can be, how can you be born again. And so this is just, just how it is that God saves us. Now, the wonder of wonders is that God chose to come to earth to save us at all. God come, came down because we couldn't go up. We can't go up to God. Why? Because of our sin. Very basic stuff. Uh, but God loves us so much. It makes the birth of the Son of God so glorious, so grace-filled, so opportunity-filled that God says to us, here's my son. Here is your opportunity to be saved. Here is a way out. Here is my son. You know, many thought that Abraham and Moses and, and Isaiah and Enoch, and they had this path to God. They, many thought because they spoke the words of God that they had ascended to heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He said, no one has ascended to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And he uses that phrase to describe himself, the Son of Man, because why? Because he, can he has the ability to relate to us. He became flesh. Jesus put that idea of the others having more superiority, he put that to rest right there. He said, nope, I'm the one who has uh, descended from heaven. I'm the only one that's descended from heaven. No one has come, went up to heaven except me, and descended, descended from heaven and came to us as God in the flesh. God became flesh. What's the point of the incarnation in flesh? What is the point of this? God became flesh that he might identify with mankind. That is the point of the incarnation. And he might identify that everything we've gone through, that's part of it. That's not the entirety. Uh, yet do it in a way as to not sin. That's one element of the incarnation, to identify with us, right? to, to go through what we've gone through. Uh, but also, what's, what else is important about God in the flesh? It allows us to relate to him, but it also, without God in the flesh, we have no cross. We have no death on the cross. We have no bodily resurrection of Jesus. That's the point of the incarnation, God in the flesh. God came down so that he could die. God was born a baby so that he might die as a man for your sin and my sin. Pretty amazing, incredible thought. That is the beauty of the incarnation. If Jesus didn't live a perfect life, then his sacrifice on the, on the cross would not be flawless. His sacrifice on the cross would not be acceptable to God. This is what Jesus, his perfect life, did. This is the incarnation of God, taking the nature of a man, take, taking upon, excuse me, the nature of a man, so why? That he could die for us as a man, as God. He's 100% man and 100% God. That's what the incarnation mean, means. It's so important. He's the God-man alone that is able to save us. I can't have any of you in here try to save me, uh, on an etern eternally speaking. Why? Because you're flawed. I can't save you. Why? Because I'm flawed. I can't hang on a cross and die for your sins. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm flawed. I need the same Savior that you do. That is the power of the incarnation. Without Jesus in the flesh, there could be no bodily resurrection. God saves us through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. You see, we all have friend groups. We tend to associate with, with uh, people who have gone through what we've gone through. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, for example, if you're a mom, you identify with other moms. Uh, if you're a hunter, you identify with other, other hunters. And, you know, deer season's coming up. I think it's in the wintertime. It starts in, I don't even know when it starts. November, December 1st? I'm not sure. Maybe November 1st. 
Uh, October, okay, all you hunters, y'all know when it starts. You're ready to go. You're ready to go. So you identify with, with the hunters in here, okay? You identify with those who, are, who understand these things, okay? Uh, maybe some of you in here, you've, you've gone through cancer. Well, you know what it's like, that road, to go down that road, the journey down that road through cancer. So if, someone, if someone's had cancer, you can immediately identify with them and say, I know what you're going through. And you, you make this immediate connection with them. And there's just this incredible connection you have. You've never, you've never met the person, but you know what they've gone through. And so that's a, an, an amazing way that we can identify with each other. If you've gone through a struggle like depression or anxiety or a mental illness, you can immediately identify with those who have gone through it or, or are going through it. It's, it's, it's the way we connect as human beings. Jesus Christ came down as God in the flesh to identify with all our struggles. All our sin, yet he was without sin and defeated death through his life and resurrection. Does God know what I'm going through right now? The, the incarnation says, yes, he knows. Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert three times, and each time, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He said, man shall not live uh, by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God was one of the verses that he quoted. He was showing dependence on the Father. Jesus knows and Jesus saves. He saves completely. He saves you. He relates to you perfectly. He is a God who can be trusted fully. And there's, we have some trust issues, right? We have some trust issues right now with, with a lot of people in our life, with the government, with the news. There's all kinds of trust issues. Maybe you have trust issues with your own family. And I'm so sorry if that's the case. But you can trust God fully because he can save you completely and he can relate to you perfectly. He is a God who can be trusted fully. All through the incarnation, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh. John 1, 14 says this. The word became flesh and, and, and dwelt among us. We have observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. So God saves us through the second birth. He saves us through the incarnation. And God also saves us through faith in his son. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus continues the Bible study with Nicodemus. He keeps telling him, this is how the second birth happens. This is how you're born again. He says, you know what? I want to refer back to a story that you might be familiar with in the Old Testament, Nicodemus. He says this. He quotes in a book, uh, from the book of Numbers. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He, can, he continues to teach Nicodemus the truth about himself. He reminds him of a passage in Numbers where God sent poisonous snakes to the people. Why? Because they rebelled. They rebelled against Moses and God. They turned against Moses. They, weren't, they wouldn't repent. So God sent uh, poisonous snakes, snakes to them. and they, they, they killed some of them. They died. People were dying because of snake bites. And they were, they were crying out to Moses. They were saying, Moses, please pray to God. We need this to stop. And so Moses prayed to the Lord. And here's Moses. Uh, God gave Moses a solution. He said, Moses, I want you to take this snake, wrap it around a pole, and hold it up. And that's where we, uh, the, the medical term, uh, that's where we get this, our, our medical term for our medical. Uh, it's a symbol for medicine, really, the snake that was wrapped around the pole. Uh, this is where this comes from. God said, hold this, hold this up, snake on a pole. Anyone who looks at it, uh, who has been snake bitten, will be healed. Okay, there's, so there's something going on there. There's a trust there. The person has to trust in what God said to look at the snake on the pole, and then they're no longer going to be affected by the snake bite. 
That was uh, God providing a way out for them, a way for them to not be affected by the snake by anyone. That was God in his mercy lifting up that snake. So here, look at this, and I'll save you. I'll save you from the poison of the snake. It will no longer bother you. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus here, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross so that anyone who looks at the cross, they will be healed not just physically or physically, they will be healed spiritually from the sting of death. That's Nicodemus is what the second birth brings. It talks about faith. For, for, for you and I, what Jesus is saying here, that he's going to be lifted up on the cross and we too must trust him. We trust in the ability of the cross to remove the sting of death from us. That's the only way that we're going to be saved. He has the ability to provide spiritual healing that we need. Faith is more than just accepting something as fact. Okay, uh, I, I believe that there's a, there's a stage here and this stage can hold me up and uh, it's, I, I know that this stage is made of wood and I can say all these things about this stage and accept that it's true but it's not really doing anything for me. I can believe that this is a stage. It's not really doing anything for me until what? I trust it to, to hold me up, right? I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm standing on the stage. I'm doing something to prove to you that I trust that there's not a trap door in this stage. I'm going to fall right through it. Uh, I trust in this stage to hold me up. There's a difference between believing in something and accepting something and then trusting something and doing something about it. That's, that's the reality. We need to accept its truth, believe it, but not until we act upon it do we see that, that as far as Jesus is concerned, he provides salvation for us. There are many people we're going to be surprised. When we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised that many people who were supposed to be there are not there. Why? Because they only believed and uh, accepted, but they never acted on trust. And they never trusted Jesus to save them from their sins. They believed in Jesus. Uh, the book of Jesus says, yes, you believe. You believe, you believe in God? Great. Even the demons believe in God and tremble. It's more than just belief. It's more than just intellectual assent. Faith is more than just accepting something as fact. We can look to the cross all day long, accept its truth, believe its truth, but until we act upon it and see that Jesus provides salvation through the cross, we will never be saved. There's a picture here. I just want to bring Jacob up of uh, seven lighthouses. Isn't that neat? Seven lighthouses, North Carolina. I think there's seven now. One, two, three, four, maybe not. One, two, three, four, five, six. There's six. Okay, well, six. All right, there's six then. Uh, there's six lighthouses. I thought we had seven lighthouses, but um, maybe there's, there, there's, there's missing one there. Maybe you, you lighthouse, lighthouse fans uh, can, can correct me. I don't know. I apologize for the error there. But we'll go with six there. Six beautiful lighthouses. Uh, these, these lighthouses, there's a group of lighthouses that uh, dot the coast of North Carolina. These are the ones that I found a picture of online. Uh, you can see those there. They all have different histories there. But these lighthouses have a purpose. Uh, you know, more than just uh, being a little knick-knack in your home, or maybe you have some of these framed in your home or something, and Allison's got little lighthouse knick-knacks, thanks for, to some generosity of some others. Uh, you know, they, the, the lighthouses provide a warning to mariners for decades. They provided a, morning, a warning to mariners, to boaters, to captains on the, on, the, on the sea, a warning to them that as you approach the coast of North Carolina, watch out, there's danger ahead. If the lighthouse is ignored, the ship could face 
disaster and a shipwreck. The captain, you know, he could easily believe that, hey, you know, I, I see a light from the lighthouse, and yep, that's a light. He could easily accept, yep, those are, that's a lighthouse. I, I accept that that's a lighthouse. I know that that's a lighthouse. Look over yonder there. That's a, a good old mountain boy term. Yonder. Uh, look over yonder. There's a lighthouse there. I know it's a lighthouse. I believe it's a lighthouse. But if he keeps going towards the lighthouse, what's going to happen? Shipwreck. He's going to face danger. He can easily perish if he ignores the warning and doesn't act upon it. If the captain of the ship looks to the light from the lighthouse, and if he acts upon that light, then his ship could be saved and he could be directed into safer waters. For you and I, the storms of life are too much for us. Sin is too much for us to bear. We must look to the light of the cross. It shines the only way home for us. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's our lighthouse. He's the Son of Man. When he was lifted up on that cross, he became a beacon of light for all of us on that cross because he became a beacon of light for every sinner in the sea of life. The cross says to us, trust in the Son. Look to the Son for salvation. Believe on the Son. Act through trust and faith. There is no name under heaven where my men must be saved. God saves us through the second birth. He saves us through the incarnation. He saves us through faith in the Son. Real faith, not just belief or intellectual assent. He also saves us from perishing in condemnation. You know, you know this, this verse well. For God loved the world this way. and we, I memorized it. I'm sure you did in the King James Version. This is the CSB. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17 is, is very, very key. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. These two verses here show us something amazing about the love of God. It states that Jesus was sent for everyone. God loved who? God loved the world. Bring in verse 16 back up there, Jacob. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who? So that everyone who believes. That's great hope. Everyone. That means that means your neighbor that's beside you or that, that long lost person, your friend that kind of went wayward, God died for them. God wants them to come back to him. God wants them to be repentant and come back to him. These two verses show something amazing about the love of God. It, God died for the whole world, not just for a select few. Aren't you glad? And his purpose to keep us from perishing, to give us life beyond the grave. There's actually real evidence. There's, there's scientific evidence that there's life beyond this world. There's scientific, verifiable proof that folks who have come back and had these things called near-death experiences, you know, whatever, they, they, they've, thousands and thousands and thousands of, of these folks have had similar experiences. There's something beyond. We know that. And Scripture, it just verifies with the truth of Scripture. And God loves us and he wants us to have life beyond the grave. Verse 17 says this, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn, but to what? To save. God saves. Circle that phrase, to save, in your Bible or highlight it on your phone. God wants to save. Did not come to the world to condemn, but to save. God is a God who saves. The last thing you, or, you and I want is for anyone to go to hell. We cannot stop people from going to hell as much as we want. But we can present the gospel to them and allow the Spirit of God to draw them to himself. That they might have an opportunity to believe and what? And be saved. 
as a youth pastor, I had an opportunity sometimes. Uh, it wasn't really an opportunity, but it was more of a, of a trip of mercy. Uh, there would be some teens that would get in trouble, and, and uh, they would go to teen court. They had this thing called teen court, and they would bring first-time offenders in. And, you know, sometimes our, our, we, have, we have some youth coming from the community, and they get in trouble. And so, you know, I wanna, I'd want to be there for them as their youth pastor, and I'd go visit them in teen court and even pray for them right there in, in the court uh, before they would go in front of the judge. And, uh, you know, the way the system works is for the first-time offender, the, the, the judge, the, the, the student will stand before the judge, and they'll talk about their offense and what they've done, and there's a potential for them to have their record expunged if they'll get things right, if they'll go and they'll change their life, if they'll get their life straight. Uh, you know, the judge doesn't condemn them as a criminal. They don't go to jail, uh, you know, and uh, sometimes they were uh, able to come back and say, I I've cleaned my life up, I've done and, you know, my mother-in-law, was, she was an advocate for the teen court. And uh, she volunteered there. And, you know, I, there was a young lady in our youth group. Uh, she was given the chance by the judge to turn her life around. She gave her life to Christ. She repented. And she stopped hanging out with the wrong crowd. Let me tell you, young people, it matters who you hang out with. It matters. It matters as adults who you hang out with. They will influence you. They will bring you down. You can't, they, they'll just pull you down. You think you might, oh, that won't bother me. Yep, they will pull you down. Your friends matter. Choose good friends. Now this uh, young lady's happily married. She's got a family of her own. I kind of see her on Facebook some. She's a responsible citizen. She loves the Lord. Uh, all because the judge did not want her to be punished or condemned, but rather he wanted her to be set free. The greatest truth of Scripture is that God, through Jesus Christ, wants to save you and I. He doesn't want us to face the judgment that we deserve. He wants us to be set free. John 8, 36 says this. Jesus echoes these words. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. We talk about freedom a lot. Freedom! We talk about freedom a lot. True freedom is the freedom that Christ provides. That's the only, the only true freedom that will get you out of this life and get you to heaven is the freedom that Christ provides. There's going to be struggle in this life. There's going to be pain in this life. But it's going to be a whole lot worse, a whole lot, much worse without Christ. Christ wants to set you free. God saves us through the second birth. He saves us through the incarnation. He saves us through faith, and he saves us from, through, from condemnation and judgment. If the Son sets you free, you really will be free. Church family, are you free? Are, is there something that's shackled you? Has, has sin ensnared you? Are you shackled down by something that's burdening, burdening you? The sun can set you free. He can, he can break the shackles. Maybe something's burdening you right now. God wants to release that burden. You can lay it at the foot of the cross, and you can live in freedom. What is it that's burdening you? What is it that's weighting you down? God saves. He completely saves. Let's pray.